Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. In a world that is dominated by narratives of fear, anxiety, and worry, what does it mean that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner state of one's heart? You've joined us in our series, Philippians, where we are exploring what Paul meant when he wrote to have joy in everything and the importance of living in unity among believers for the sake of the gospel. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning to you all in the room and also good morning if you're joining us online. My name is Fiona and it is just wonderful to be here to worship with you this morning. And we are diving into our second um, message in our Philippian series. So on that note, why don't we just um, stop, pause for a moment of prayer. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord God, that as it goes forth this morning, Lord God, may it actually be doing the things that your word intends to do. We know that it does not return void. We know that it is sharp and it cuts to our heart, Lord God. We just pray that right now, Lord God, recognising you are here with us now, that you would be actually preparing our hearts for what it is that you want to say to us today, that you would be giving us ears to hear tuning those ears into your voice, Lord, and giving us eyes to see in the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm, Lord, what it is that you have for us. God, we give you all thanks and praise, Lord God. May this time that we share together be for our good and for your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' Name. Amen. That's okay. Um, So I'll keep going. Um, Look, I have this really vivid memory of my primary school years. I'm not sure if that's you as well, but I went to school um, in a little suburban public school called Oatley West Public School. It was in the Shire of Sydney, in the Sutherland Shire of Sydney. And um, you know what the vision, or not the vision actually, you know what the mission statement or the motto was of my primary school? Do you remember yours? Mine was this, learning to live. Learning to live. I have to say though, I didn't really ever know, even throughout all of my primary schooling, what that truly was talking about. I wasn't sure what it meant. It just seemed a little bit vague, just seemed a little bit non-specific. And I thought it kind of lacked a little bit of vision, really. Um, But nonetheless, um, I had to wear that on the back of my shirt for a good number of years. Then in grade three, I came home from um, school with a tenor saxophone, a tenor saxophone on a trolley. Because you see, a tenor saxophone's quite a big instrument and it had to be strapped to a trolley and that's how I got that instrument around. I came home as the proud new member of the beginner band. So much of my public school, my primary school years, was spent wheeling around what could have easily been a small coffin um, strapped to a trolley with learning to live on my back. (laughs) A little bit traumatised, just a little bit. Anyway, some other things happened for us that year as a family. I remember very distinctly again that my parents, mum and dad and my siblings, we sat down at the table and it was going to be one of those home truths conversations. It's going to be one of those kind of serious conversations. And it started like this, mum and dad said, we are going to work really hard. We're going to have two jobs if we need to because we want you kids, you three kids, to be able to be in the band, to play a musical instrument and to have private tuition. We want this for you. This though, this though will mean that we won't get to have expensive overseas holidays. 
like resort holidays or even cruises and those sorts of things that we were starting to see lots of our other friends at school starting to have because we simply couldn't afford to. Our family would go to uncle's one bedroom, five people, flat for Christmas and we would go to the farm for all of our other holidays. But you know what? That's how it was. And in a way, well, actually in a big way, we all just owned it. We embraced it and, and it was something that we held a deep commitment to regardless of what sacrifice was involved. But actually there was a deep joy that came because that experience or I guess that way that we did life together really formed and shaped us as a family, something we were grateful for. I'm not sure about you, but can you relate Can you relate to some of those home truth kind of, it's going to be true, but it's going to be challenging, decisive moments in your own life, maybe recently or in times gone by? Now, can I just ask, am I using this microphone? I am using this one. Wonderful. Thank you for that confirmation. So, you know what? When we go to Paul's um, talking to us today through the book of Philippians, Paul, I think, is having a similar moment with the church and the people that he's dearly um, loving, his, his church there that he's planted. And he says this to them. He's like he's saying, friends, it's time to sit down and listen up because I've got some really important things that I want to be able to talk to you about. I've got something important to share about the meaning of life, the meaning of life. Because Paul says, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're here for the first time or if you're here online, if you have actually come along this morning like just curious about Christianity or maybe you're a really seasoned believer and follower of Jesus, I think either way this morning's message is actually like going to be really quite full on. It's, a, it's an important subject for us to question together, to ask ourselves about what is the meaning of life? What are you living for? And I believe that's what Paul is going to be asking us and what we're going to learn today. So let's lean in. Let's lean in because Paul is going to lay out his priorities, the things that define life so that we might discover what it means for Paul to say, for me to live is Christ. And then what that can actually also mean for us. We're going to begin by just having a look at Paul's circumstance. And he, and he says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul has now been a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ for quite some time. He's planted many churches and he's been in ministry for quite a while now. But Paul is actually, his ministry, his ministry, his missionary journeys, his church planting, they've been stopped in their tracks because Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison at the moment and he's likely to be in prison for quite some time. He is awaiting trial and he is awaiting possible execution. But he's not just in prison. Paul is also in chains. He's actually chained to a guard, a Praetorian guard, 24-7. He's restrained, which means that his chains clang every time he moves his hands, his arms or his legs. He's most likely malnourished. He's without any form of privacy, whether that be to sleep or to eat or to go to the toilet. He's truly a demeaning, demoralising and dehumanising situation for Paul to find himself in. But yet... Actually, Paul is not discouraged. We don't, we don't get any sense of that in the text. Even if you think through and you put yourself in his circumstances, Paul is saying, I'm actually happy. I am thriving here. If I lived another 20 years or if I died tomorrow, it doesn't matter to me. And how can he say this, do you wonder? 
I believe it's because Paul has sorted out his priorities and that he has a definition of life that enables Paul to face anything, to face anything. Anything at all, any circumstance, good or bad, any hardship, any mistreatment, any injustice. Paul is writing to say, friends, you don't have to be worried about me. I am taking this in my stride because this, what is happening to me, it doesn't affect what I live for. It doesn't affect what I live for. And he goes on to say, you know what? What is happening here is actually got, what's going on is, is indeed advancing the gospel. The gospel is advance, advancing because of these circumstances that I find myself in. And Paul is genuinely rejoicing and he is genuinely able to encourage his church and his followers and his friends who are outside really worried about his well-being. Now, there are two ways that the gospel is advanced. One way is that we see converts and the other way is that we see courage. We're going to talk about both of those now. So going with the first one, converts. Many, many people who would not have otherwise known anything about Jesus Christ or about the gospel have found out that Paul is in prison for Christ. Paul shares the gospel. He shares the gospel with the imperial guard and everybody else who's around, emperors, courtiers, magistrates. They have all come to know that Paul isn't in prison because he's an evil person or he's some sort of criminal, but they've come to know that Paul is in prison because he's a servant of Christ. Paul is sharing his testimony. And we can read Paul's testimony by going back to the book of Acts in chapter 9. Paul's story is that he was actually like the one that was that breathing evil thoughts towards Christians. He was actively persecuting Christians. He was the professional persecutor of the way of people of faith in Jesus. And yet on, his road to, on the road to Damascus, Paul is apprehended by the living, risen Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to him. And Paul was dramatically turned from being this persecutor of Christians to a servant of the gospel, a servant of Jesus and a servant to the church. In that moment, Paul experienced the incredible mercy, the incredible mercy of God. He discovered an invitation into a relationship with Jesus Christ that was not dependent on anything other than grace. It wasn't dependent on his ethnicity, on his qualifications, on his religious standing. He was invited into a relationship that was based on grace alone. And that grace, Paul says, it actually laid hold of him. It wasn't something that he had to reach for or strive for in some way. But Scripture tells us that this is a grace that actually laid hold of Paul. Christ reached out to him and laid hold of him and made Paul his own. Made Paul his own. Do you know that? Do you know that for yourself? Do you know that Christ has made you His own? His own. He's made you His own. Maybe there's someone this week in your life that you'll come across that you can actually also share that amazing truth with. Anyway, back to prison. Whether it's the day shift or the lunch shift or the evening shift, whether it's day after day, these very unsuspecting, hard-nosed, mean-spirited Praetorian guards get chained to the most persuasive evangelist that the world has ever known. And guess what? There's lots of converts. One by one, they're being converted to the gospel. 
uh, a 16th century commentator who you might recognise his name, Matthew Henry. He writes in beautiful old English, so stay with me as I read it. This quote I'm going to bring to you now. A strange chemistry of providence this, to extract so great a good as the enlargement of the gospel out of so great an evil as the confinement of the apostle. What Matthew Henry is telling us here is that when we are facing really difficult circumstances, even tragedy, and when we find ourselves not even able to clearly see what it is that is going on, we need to be aware of this, that God is in the business of taking things that are baseless or useless or worthless, things like lead into something of gold, something beautiful something exquisite. God is in the business of doing that. God is doing that all the time would be Paul's testimony. I can can relate to that on some levels in my life. I'm not sure if you can as well. You might've heard me share before that um, our family spent a little bit of time in India on the mission field over there. We flew into India, into Mumbai um, in the end of September and September and October is monsoon season. And in the first week that I arrived, I slipped on some tiles that were wet and I injured my right knee. Um, By the diagnosis that I had in India, they they had thought that I had just really torn my, in a small way, my cruciate ligament in my knee. I needed a a string of um, assessments and appointments, including MRIs to figure out what exactly had been done. And then following on from that, for the next more than three months, I needed to travel to a little rural shack hospital to have some treatment. Started out as being three times a week and then twice a week and then once a week for 16 weeks. I went to have some treatment on my knee that they called traction. And it was interesting and it was challenging. But what I discovered, and I've actually become more able to appreciate it in hindsight as I look back at this stage of our life and what it was going on for our family, was I discovered that I actually had to make, God was doing something in my life that moved me from this real sense of independence and self-sufficiency into a place of humble gratitude. I was deeply reliant all of a sudden on people where I was a foreigner, where I didn't speak the language, where I didn't understand the healthcare system, if that's what it was. I became deeply and humbly dependent on people who would care for me and help me to recover. There was something that God was taking in my life that was this sort of real, this kind of real streak, if you like, of independence and self-sufficiency and turning that into humble gratitude. And Paul learnt that God is actually about this. God is doing this all the time. This led to gold. And I think Paul is on the edge of his seat with curiosity as to exactly how God is going to simply do this, bring something exquisite and beautiful out of the circumstances that he's in and indeed out of his own very life and his own very heart. Now you might be thinking, might be thinking, is winning the emperor's guards, these converts, is that for Christ, is that a sufficient reason for Paul to be thrown into prison and for his career to be taken away and for him to be potentially executed? It's a really hard question to answer, but I believe this is the best way that we get to answer it. So God has a much, much bigger picture that God is outworking and that Paul is teaching that even his sort of scrappy circumstances, they are just but a few brushstrokes on the canvas, which is the bigger picture that God has in mind. And what is that bigger picture that God has in mind? 
It is that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is where God has already worked out His own divine intentions. And now by the Holy Spirit, God is carrying them out in the world. He's carrying them out in the world through the church, through the church in Philippi, through Paul and through you and I. The Holy Spirit is working to refine Paul, helping him to sort out his priorities and allowing him to come to understand what precisely it is that Paul lives for. This doesn't mean that Paul isn't going to grieve or weep or or become frustrated or need to shake his fists at God or take mental health days. Paul is still experiencing the full gamut of human emotions, yet Paul knows Paul knows what it is that he lives for and he knows who it is that he lives for. And he believes that what he's going through is actually making him more like the Saviour that he loves so much. Friends, I ask you this question this morning. What are you living for? What are you living for? What makes your life worth living regardless of what life throws at you? I mentioned there were two ways that the gospel was progressing. One was converts and the other was courage. The brothers and sisters, they have become more confident in the Lord. These are, these are the people that Paul is writing to. These are the people who continue to do the work of preaching the gospel and seeing people um, in Philippi come to faith and establish the church. The brothers and sisters, they're becoming more confident in the Lord. Becoming, they're becoming more bold. They're becoming less fearful. And they're speaking the gospel with greater courage. Isn't that amazing? Like there is this this absolute paradox here. But what's happening is that they are seeing that Paul is going all the way with this prison thing and this execution thing. And they're not the slightest bit put off. In fact, for them, it's the opposite. This imprisonment, this hardship, this mistreatment is actually making them more bold to speak the Word of God. And that what is happening for Paul is actually a testimony to the strength and the value of Jesus Christ. It's a testimony not to a weak God with a little G that is also gods that are being worshipped in Philippi. This is the God and God is being seen as strong and Jesus Christ is being seen as valuable and Jesus Christ is being seen as real. This is a real living God and this is a cause for great joy. This isn't a place to be playing religious games, so to speak. This isn't just for social Christianity. You know that if the fellow believers out there, if they were snatched from the pulpit and sent to prison, they would be truly reconciled to it because they would be in such good company and they would know that they've seen the worst of it in Paul and they would see how encouraged, how encouraged they've been and how what was intended for evil has been overruled for good. And they're not afraid. In fact, they more courageously run to Jesus and the Gospel rather than running away. They were not afraid. It's good just to pause and think through what that means for them not to be afraid, for Paul himself not to be afraid. Because I wonder what moves us from fear to faith? What moves us from fear to faith? I think that if we just had to take a minute to just put it in a nutshell, I think it's that we know that our sins are forgiven, like really forgiven. We know that Almighty God is actually for us. He has made you His own and that God is sovereign and in control over prison, over life and all its fullness and death. 
and that glory with Jesus is coming, that we have a citizenship that goes beyond this physical life and into the next. If Jesus is real, if sins are forgiven, if God is for me, if God is sovereign, if glory is coming, I don't have to be afraid of anything, not even death. Paul just adds that, you know what, even out there in his circumstance, there are people, fellow believers that are stirring up trouble for Paul and preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. Still, Paul, it's not insult to injury for him. He doesn't become angry. He doesn't become resentful. He simply wants us to know that prison is overcome. Sorry, prison is overturned. It's overturned for good and for the advancement of the gospel. So is envy and rivalry because Christ is proclaimed And this for Paul is such a cause for great joy. Paul is absolutely rejoicing because what then, either way, prison, enemies, affliction led to gold. Even when gold doesn't really appear to come, Christ makes life worth living. That is Paul's bottom line. Christ and the Gospel is the passion and the priority of his life. Christ is the one that Paul supremely loves above all else. And he summarises it like this. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, what have you chosen to live for? I did a little bit of research, just a little bit, and I came up, I noticed that Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, he lived for fun. He lived for fun and for pleasure. Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you're interested, he is living to achieve and to conquer. He says to go up is what he lives for. But I think if we kind of trying to bring it back to something a little bit more relatable, There are many things, aren't there, that actually we quite easily decide are the reasons why we live. Things that make life worth living. Things that we prioritise. Things like lifestyle. Living on the Gold Coast, I think that's, that's a huge thing for us to consider as to whether or not that is, in a sense, what it is that we live for. What about for us to live for our career? for recognition and for promotion and from the financial security that really flows from that? What is it to live for career? What about that we might live for family? We might live for our our children. We might live for our spouse. Or that we indeed live for friends and those really important social relationships. But friends, What happens, what happens when trial and tragedy come our way and take from us that very thing that we've said makes life worth living? What happens? What happens when your sister dies of cancer? What happens when you're betrayed or deserted by lifelong close friends? What happens when your business goes broke? Have you ever had to face circumstances that force you to rethink what it is you actually live for? Have you ever needed to find something something higher to live for, realising that if you don't change how you live your life, what is the most important thing to you, that 
life is just simply going to collapse. Paul really understood what it was to live for Christ. He understood his meaning of life. Paul, the church planter, arguably the greatest apostle and leader that has ever lived. His career is over. He's in prison, but yet he's able to say, whatever, ministry is not my life. Christ is my life. Friends, if your career goes belly up and your life is falling apart, that's probably because your life is your career. Now, Paul, he absolutely loved his friends in Philippi. We get that very strong theme coming through this letter over and over again. He loves them. He delights in them. They are his joy, but he's not with them and he may never see them again. But friends, Paul would say, I'm okay because my friends aren't my life. This one's hard. I, I, this is one that, you know, strikes to my heart. Living for your children or for your spouse or just for family. Many of us here, maybe you're like me, that, you know, this is really important. It can be how we define life. It can be what is the most important thing to us. But then, friends, it is, you know, the, un, the unspeakable, unfathomable can happen, can't it? And you can be needing to look at life in a casket. I have a couple of stories to share with you as we sort of come to just, again, bring this a bit bit back to home. And I've asked permission to share this story. This is a, a story um, by a friend of ours who comes along to New Life and his name is Phil Amy and Phil manages um, our New Life Care op shop and our food pantry. And Phil's father passed away just very recently. And I chatted with Phil in the office. We had 20 or 30 minutes together and we're chatting about how he was going. And he was sharing about, just sharing about his grief and that sense of loss that he has and, you know, sharing um, just about how much his dad meant to him. And it actually brought back memories for Phil of his mum who'd passed away 10 years earlier, but how much she meant to him as well and also to the, the four other siblings that are in his family. You know, Phil, Phil shared about, you know, just a real sense of deep loss that the end of dad's life has come. But you know, this really lovely thing about Phil's story is that he also manages the op shop where he sees and he loves some of the most hard up, penniless, afflicted people in our city. In fact, when I bumped into Phil, he'd come across the office on a Sunday afternoon just to get things ready for this week when he was gonna be away to grieve his dad so that it wouldn't rock his team over the op shop too much. But it occurred to me, you know, I think Phil gets this. Phil gets this because even though his dad and family is deeply important to him, even though his work is so important and it's purposeful, it doesn't define his life. It doesn't define his life for him. It's Jesus that makes life worth living. It's Jesus that makes life worth living. Another quick courtyard story, Reverend Brad and I were sitting with a friend who is rediscovering his own faith that he had many, many years ago as a child. And the recent months have been really rough. 
And he's been mistreated by people, particularly treated, mistreated by Christians. But yeah, we were able to share about that truth about what I shared earlier from my own experience that God turns lead into gold. That God is working in circumstances and working not just in what's happening externally, but we pray that God will be working in this dear friend's heart, in the depths of his heart. Give, give him a glimpse, we prayed, Lord, of what you're doing. And for me personally as well, part of my own journey, you know, um, taking, hearing the call to ministry and becoming a minister, I too, I am, I'm really susceptible to defining life as being about family, about seeing my children, you know, grow into young adulthood and see them secure and established in their jobs and their relationships. I'm very susceptible to making that what defines me, the reason why I exist. I'm also very susceptible to saying that ministry is why I exist as well. I'm very susceptible to to kind of just getting this slightly out of order sense of priorities and reordering and changing our priorities in life is actually very hard because when Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain you know friends that feels like advanced Christianity doesn't it but as I reflected on this I really felt as though it's probably less hard if you are only just beginning your journey of faith or maybe you are just even now curiously considering what it is to make Jesus the meaning of your life. Often in those places, that's when we can most easily set the groundwork and the priorities. So that's kind of why I didn't want to shy away from this kind of really heavy, important conversation we're having today. That's why I didn't want to shy away from the home truths that we can talk about today. Paul says that there is only one definition in life only one priority that will stand up to anything. And if this is true, if Paul is right, then for me to live must be Christ. It's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. So friends, that big question again for you, what are you living for? What are you living for? Paul sees that everything, everything he sees, all of life, all of himself, actually in light of God's bigger, marvellous picture. He sees everything in light of God's divine intentions at Calvary, at the cross, where Christ was victorious, where Christ defeated the powers of sin and death. There is nothing for Paul that doesn't fit into that particular picture, that cross-shaped picture, even if it means hardship, even if it means suffering and mistreatment on the way to resurrection. So I just wanna be able to take this moment to say, friends, no matter who you are or what you've done or how you've managed to find yourself sitting here today as we talk about the meaning of life, I wanna let you know that God has a plan for your life. And I believe that God, if you don't already have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that He is wanting to invite you into that, just like He invited Paul into that. 
He would want to invite you into a relationship that is not based on who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what your credentials are, but a relationship based on His grace and His mercy and based on the truth that He, God Himself, has done everything, everything that is needed that He might fully embrace you and take hold of you and be drawing you into a relationship. Is that, is that you this morning? Let's just bow our heads because we, we do this. We see the importance of this to allow prayer to be a moment where we as a family recognise that all of us may need to come to faith for the first time or maybe this is a time of recommitting your faith. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and invite the Holy Spirit to be stirring in our hearts as I ask you this question. Do you today want to step in to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. If that's you, if that's you for the first time or this is a recommitment moment for you, would you just put your hand up so that we could pray for one another? Would you just put your hand up if you would like to receive for the first time or a recommitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you. Thank you for your hand. Thank you for your hand. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. I'm just going to wait a minute, a little moment longer. Hallelujah. Thank You, Lord. For those people here today, for our brothers and sisters, we're just going to say a very simple prayer together. I'm going to lead you in it. You're going to say it after me. Um, let's do that now. Lord Jesus, thank You for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank You for His finished work on the cross. Thank You for the new relationship I have today in Jesus Christ. one that does not depend on anything other than grace. Forgive my sins, I ask. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. I receive that gift now. And Lord, please come into my heart. Teach me and empower me to live for Christ. Now and forever. Amen. Amen. Church, would you like to stand? We're going to be continuing on in some worship. We're going to be singing a song about how it is that God takes us through all of the seasons and all of the journeys of life where we can surely know His goodness and His grace and His mercy. And as we're singing that song, for me, I just wanted to also invite all of you as, as our family, just realise that if you have been convicted or felt this morning as a follower of Jesus, that you just, that this is a time when you probably need to just reprioritize or reorder the things that have been important to you that yes Christ has been important but has Christ been central I would just pray that during this time of worship that the Holy Spirit would meet you where you're at 
Maybe you'd like to just worship with your hands in front of you as a demonstration of how you would love. Just help with how you're going to apply this to your life today. This might be a fresh start for your priorities as a follower of Christ today. I just want to invite you to, to lean into that as well as we continue in worship, that you might have your hands out front as we worship and invite the Holy Spirit to come and continue to do that work in you. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.